So this is the way Bruce Springsteen ended my life for real. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, and then we had, we said, well, okay, we're gonna have to get contracts together. We're gonna have to circulate these. So we're gonna have to go in and do these songs quick, you know, which is what we yeah. did do. We made a little, little demo of them, uh, even though they, they made a Hammond demo, which became the big thing mm. because it was John. Um, but we, that's, that's how we started off, uh, with Bruce and we were all blown away. I mean, like Bruce says about me. Uh, you were the first true believer, Mike. Tokyo tonight. Tonight. Hey, Mike. Hi. How you doing? Nice to be. How you here. doing, man? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm uh, uh, I'm well rested and uh, looking forward to it. In honor of you, I'm wearing a shot leather jacket, which I know uh, you gave Springsteen yours to do the yes. cover. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm. That's my homage. Uh, my my <laughs> question is, did you ever get it back from him? No. He told me he gave it to a girl. So I said, that's a good answer. Uh, you know, what are you going to say to that one? You know? Yeah, exactly. Wow. How long did he have it before he gave it to a girl, though? That's the question. Was it worth something when he did it, or was it still just like, hey, you're cool? No, it was, it was worth plenty of it. <laughs> but uh, that, that's the way it is. You, you don't even think about things like that in those days. You know, it just, it was just, it was great. It was just great. Yeah, like he just looked at it one day and I, I had it with me and he says, hey, who's that? Who? What's that? Is that yours? I said, yeah, it is mine. I said, you know, my mother bought it when I was 17, you know, Robert Hall, I think, or something was where she bought it, for God's sake. Wow. And wow. Uh, yeah, Long Island. And uh, he said, oh, well, can I try it on? He, I said, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it'll fit, man, you know, but you're so thin and I was so thin at that age, too. I said, who the hell knows? Go ahead. Give it a shot. It's in it, man. It fits him like a glove. He's oh wow. man, I love this. Can I have this? You bet. Go ahead. <laughs> Where am I going to that? I don't even know if I could have fit it in it actually at the time. Wow. But but uh, actually, I, I actually could fit in it actually at that particular time. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it was it was it was it, we got lucky. He wanted to use it for the for the for the Born to Run uh, photo shoot for the album shoot, hmm. and. Uh, yeah. Uh, we, we were all talking up in the office at 75 East 55th Street, and uh, we were talking about, you know, what the title of the album should be. Should it be Jungle Land, should it be Born to Run, Thunder Road. And we were going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then he finally said, I think it has to be Born to Run. And I said, I think you're right. Okay. I mean, that was the first song we did. He and I produced that one. And uh, that was the one, uh, the song that kind of, led the other songs in the direction that the album was to end up going. You right. know, Thunder Road is a big pompous song. Jungle Land is a big pompous song. Night is another big pompous song. Backstreets is another big pompous song. And you have these big kind of productions. Oh, there was a few, few, uh, you know, meeting across the river. Of course, it wasn't that big. Big a pompous song. Um, you know, uh, not, not Backstreets. Backstreets, uh, what, what I'm thinking of. That was it, yeah. I'm thinking another one. It'll come to me in a second. But, but uh, most most of these uh, uh, the songs were like you know pretty impressive songs. 
-hmm. and uh and i uh, and i said to myself well let's see what he comes let, let's see let's see let's see what we we come up with because uh, i just got a call from john berg over at columbia and he wants me to come over and take a look at the the the, uh, the artwork and then you know i'll come back and 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 bring it with me okay he says yeah okay wow. go ahead you know i'll stay here at the office blah blah, blah. okay great he could care less about going to going to Columbia. <laughs> uh, he, he'd rather be in the you know in the office there. It was it was, it was a great sure. office, good good rock and roll office, uh, right on Fifty Fifth Street, just between Park and Madison. Nice nice building. In fact, uh, uh, Dylan's manager Albert Grossman was uh, upstairs upstairs from us. That's where oh, Dylan's, wow. Dylan's offices were. I had no idea that uh, that uh, uh, Albert Grossman had offices in this building. It's funny that. Bruce Springsteen was discovered by John Hammond Sr. and Bob Dylan was, signed, uh, was discovered by John Hammond Sr. at Columbia Records. And then, of course, I go and I get offices right in the same building. Uh, oh, I, I, I call my, my band the Balloon Farm. Albert Grossman had ownership in, in the Balloon Farm Club mm -hmm. uh, in, 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 in the village at the time. And they even said that Dylan named the club the Balloon Farm. And of course, I had the hit with the balloon farm, you know, as I said before, uh, question of temperature on Lloyd Records. Right. And there was all these 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 cross currents with Dylan that, that I only realized, you know, lately in the last couple of years, I've spent some time going back and and there was just one thing after another that was it was very surprising to me, the, the coincidences. Um, uh, anyway, let me get back to the to John Berg. I go over to John Berg's office. I walk in, and he says, and he's holding up the cover that you can see. There's Bruce Springsteen, you know, uh, you know, in the jacket and all that mm -hmm. stuff, right? Uh, yeah. And then he opens it further, and you realize that Bruce is actually leaning on somebody or something. And then you realize it's Clarence Clemens. Yeah. I said, oh my God, it's an open, it's you know, an open up album. And, and, and that's the oh my god that's great that it's it's Clarence that he's leaning on who could have picked that he, he was beside himself John Berkus he said this is going to be you know one of these albums is going to win all the all the you know the greatest album cover for that year or whatever right but sure enough it, yeah. it, it 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 did and uh, I go back I, I was running back right. I couldn't wait to show it to to him I showed it to him and he was stunned by it wow. he looked at it and he said oh. That is it. If that isn't it, nothing is it. You know, that is it. Born to run. Good God, that's it. And 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 I said, well, Jesus, that isn't the, the greatest thing in the world to have that thing to bed. You know, now all we have to do is finish the damn yeah. album, which was uh, no easy task. It was a very very stressful kind of um, album and 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 music making time period for all of us. Uh, but was that case, album? Was that album in particular more stressful than the other ones? Oh, way, way more s stressful because uh, we 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 uh, we almost got dropped by Columbia Records between the, the second and the third album. Mm -hmm. The first uh, first two albums, Clive Davis was like our champion advocate at the label, and he was also responsible for the signing, not just John Hammond. Right. Uh, but uh, but John Hammond is the guy I went to first and heard Bruce Springsteen first, and was bowled over as much as I was bowled over. He mm -hmm. was bowled over, even right. after it was just a. Uh, it just seemed to be meant meant to be. It was like, it was extremely fast. Uh, I didn't even. I only had time to set up maybe one other label. I mean, they were they were on to us so fast. 
I didn't have a chance to even call other labels and get them, try to get them into a bidding war. It was like wow. so fast. Um, I mean, but we were, you know, I wasn't going to, you know, tempt the gods uh, when, when Columbia Records calls and they, you got both Clive Davis and both John Hammond Sr. on your side. You want to make a deal. You're not going to be yeah. petulant and cute. Right. And so, we, <laughs> so, so we did. And uh, it, it, it was great. But Bruce Springsteen, when he first walked in to our offices, um, was 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 uh, it was like it's November seventy one, and and uh, he he played two songs. He sat down on the on the on a, on a piano bench, and uh, in one of the offices, and uh, he came up with a fellow by the name of Tinker, who was a friend of his and a sound man down there, and, and he was the one who I had a, a relationship with because Tinker had another group that he worked with called Tumbleweed. They were like a Crosby, Stills, and Nash knockoff, mm. and I loved them. And uh, I took them over to Lieber and Stola, you know, the guys that wrote Jailhouse Rock and, you know, a million hits. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, and, and they loved them, too. And they wanted me to go to start King Records in Nashville and cut them, which I did. Wow. And uh, uh, with Weldon Myrick on, on pedal steel guitar, and he was the one who was the pedal, pedal steel guitar player for Neil Young on uh, the Harvest album. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... Uh, uh, he'd be searching for a heart of gold with uh, the pedal steel guitar in there as, as Weldon Myers. And, uh, and uh, in any case, uh, I, I, uh, I came back and it never worked out with, with uh, Lever and Stoller because they had partnership fights and, and everything else. But uh, to get back to Bruce, I, uh, I said to Bruce after the two songs, uh, they were lyrically nothing to write mother about. Uh, he sang them with great intensity. In fact, the intensity was almost too much for the for the value of the song. Wow! Uh, he he was better than the song, and <laughs> and and uh, so when he finished them, he said, "Well, that's it." And I said, "Well, yeah, I said that's not going to be enough. I mean, you're going to have to do better songs than this." And and he said, "Oh, don't worry, I've got plenty of songs, I'll, and I'll have more songs when I go back to you." Uh, uh, what was it, San, San Mateo, California? Mm. I think his parents lived there at that time, and, and, and he returned to San Mateo, and he said, you know, write songs there, and he'd come back. And, you know, and, uh, and I said, the door's always open, you come back. I said, but, you know, there's nothing here that, to, you know, knock, knock, me, knock me out. So, you know, and you got to have a lot more songs, you know, you got to have a dozen songs, 15, 16 songs to go in and do your first album, not two. And, right. And, and he understood that. Um, but it was funny when at a certain point in in in, in the song, uh, one of the songs, there's a song about a deaf, blind, deaf, dumb, and blind girl. It said something about dancing to a silent band, hmm. and 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 I, I thought that was kind of weird and uh, you know oddy. And then all of a sudden, I also had the, the the confusion of hearing a voice in my own head say, "This kid's a superstar." actually wow. said those words and it was like I, I dismissed it right away because I said mm. I'm not a guy given to you know flights of fancy and hearing voices and that's not my thing right so mm-hmm. uh, uh, I dismissed it and then uh, a couple of months later in February he came back uh, I didn't even remember his name when the girl said, hey, there's a Bruce Springsteen here to see. Uh, I said, I don't know any Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> I said, it must be a mistake. It must be somebody else. And then he kept going on. Finally, Bruce had to say, it's the guy with, tell him, tell Mike, it's the guy with Tinker, who came up with Tinker. When he said Tinker, 
Then, of course, I remember who it was. I said, okay. you got those songs? He said, I got those songs. I said, come on up today. We're, anytime after five, we're here. He comes up, and he starts playing songs. First song he played, blew me right out the door. Do you remember what it was? I, yeah, it was If I Was the Priest. It was the first song he played for John Hammond, too. And it blew John Hammond right out the door, too. Wow. And then he plays, does this bus stop in St. City, and, and it was like, my God. I, I, I had him repeat the, the lyrics in Insane City, you know, with my black jacket jacket and hair slick sweet silver star studs on my duds, just like a Harley and Heath. Uh, I made him sing that line again because I was so impressed with a Harley and Heath. Right. I, you know, I thought I said, that's a very cool way to put it. Yeah. And and I said, This guy's this guy is like killing me. I don't know what to, to make of this. And he so maybe, I don't know, maybe five or six songs all together. And and I was there with uh, uh, my my partner at the time, Jimmy Credicus, and I said, "Well, Jimmy, what do you think?" He says, "I think he's absolutely great." Wow. And me too. And then there was uh, Bob Spitz, who was who's an author himself. He wrote the the book on the Beatles and Bob Dylan. Very mm -hmm. very 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 you know, literate books for rock and roll. And and uh, <laughs> and, and he uh, and and uh, I asked Bobby, "What do you think?" He says, "He was just just stunned." He was just stunned, but he just said he's great. He's super great. So this is the way Bruce Springsteen entered my life for real, uh, and uh, uh, you know. And then we had we said, well, okay, we're gonna have to get contracts together. We're gonna have to circulate these. We're gonna have to go in and do these songs quick, you know. Which is what we yeah. did do. We made a little little demo of them, uh, even though they they made a Hammond demo, which became the big thing mm. because it was John. Um, but we that's that's how we started off. Uh, with Bruce, and we were all blown away. I mean, like Bruce says about me, uh, he says you were the first true believer, Mike. And, wow. and that's not, that's nice to to know that because look what he became. I yeah, mean, you know, <laughs> it's like I can point to this guy and not be embarrassed. Right, right, right. Uh, you yeah. know, I mean, it, it, it's uh, it, it was it was it was a great uh, start of a relationship. In fact, um, I said to him. After, after we signed publishing contracts and production contracts, he said, uh, I said, who, who, who do you want to manage you? Uh, I said, uh, you know, John Shears out there, you know, and a bunch of other people, you know, uh, mm -hmm. that, I, that I knew at the time uh, were available. And, and he said, no, why don't you do it? I said, what do you mean? Why? I don't know the first thing about it. I'm like a writer, a producer, a publisher, a singer. You know, I'm right. just out of bands myself. Okay. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, I'm not a manager. I, I don't know anything about that. He said. He said, "Why don't you do it?" I said, "I just told you why I, uh, I shouldn't do it. I don't know anything. My <laughs> guy doesn't know anything handling it. That doesn't make any sense." Right. Uh, he said, "Mike." I, he says, "It can't be that difficult." I said, "It probably isn't, but it's like kind of strange. I never gave it a thought in my life." He said, "Well, give it a thought and let me know that you want to do it." I said, "Well, okay. I'll give it some thought. Okay." And then I said, listen, uh, you know, this is the last time, you know, I'm going to say I want to I, I want to do it, even though I really don't want to do it. I'd rather somebody else who's competent to do it. And, and, and I can just focus on, you know, your records and your songs and blah, 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 blah and getting you a record deal. Mm. No, nope, 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 nope. I want you to be the guy. That's why that out that that contract was signed months later. Wow. It wasn't even signed 
Uh, That's inc- I mean, do you think it was more because I, I, I kind of understand that to an extent where you want somebody you trust, even if they don't know, maybe necessarily like they're not that confident in doing the managerial part, but you'd still rather it's still almost better to have somebody that you trust kind of oh, guiding yeah. your career. Well, well, that's absolutely true. Okay, that's for sure true. But I, 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 it was funny because I didn't know that he had a real band together that, you know, he was thinking about using on the first oh. album. And all those band members were like neighbors and people he knew all his <laughs> life growing up. Yeah. Growing up. And, and uh, so I think it was like that kind of thinking, you know, let's make it a family thing. You know, I don't want outsiders. I don't want strangers that I don't know and I don't, sure. I can't trust them and blah, 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 blah. So that was kind of the way he looked at it. And I didn't realize that until really the, the band members started to, to come aboard. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and Steve Van Zandt could have come aboard. He, he, he just didn't make it. He didn't make the cut that, at that, that point time. In time. He made it just before we released Born to Run. Right, and that was that was the one to catch. If you had you had a catch, one, that's, <laughs> the, that's the one to catch. Yeah, um, but but uh, Steve Van Zandt, a guy that I, I didn't realize was as good a musician as he turned out to be, but he had an enormous amount of songs to uh, rehearse and learn from for, for the Born to Run tour because he had to learn the first two albums and then Born to Run, obviously, mm-hmm. and then he had to learn all the songs that Bruce plays live. You know, Bruce is like up to four or five hundred songs. Right, that he can play. There is no other band in the world that can come remotely near that. Okay, yeah. I mean, I played in bands all my life. Maybe if you had all the songs I knew at the time, maybe we came out to all 150 songs, and that's me playing years and years and years in New York City with a lot of different bands, and and that's all I knew. I didn't know anywhere near four or five hundred right. songs. It was ridiculous, and uh, that's what Bruce is. He's ridiculous. I mean, he's out there for four hours. <laughs> Four and a half hours or four hours yeah. uh, on stage playing his heart out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got a dose of it when he played the bottom line. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting in the audience with uh, Bette Midler, Paul Simon. Uh, wow. Uh, the one with the uh, Jake Giles band leader. I forget the guy's name. Oh, um, uh, Wolf, Peter Wolf. Yeah. Peter Wolf and Faye Dunaway. They were at the mm-hmm. table. Wow. So this, this is the bottom line. And the tables are as narrow as they come. And they've got these little Cinzano, you know, cigarette, uh, you know, uh, ashtrays on them. And, and everybody's drinking and, and their drinks are on the tables too. Bruce jumps off the stable onto one of those tables, right? And they're all linked up all the way like to the back of the, 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 to the club. And people are sitting on both sides of those tables. He mm-hmm. dances his way, God knows how. He dances his way down to where we're sitting, right? And right. he drops himself on my lap. And the sweat in his jeans went through into my jeans, into my flesh. That's how heavy he was sweating. Wow. That's what a show he puts on. And, and that was my first real confrontation with just what he actually does. Even though I'm there night after night, I was doing sound and lights, okay? Right. It's not like I didn't know what I was doing there. I was I was sound and lights, and he loved the fact that I knew the sound and lights and would play the piano before uh, Davey Sanchez even got there, and, and I'd have to make sure that that piano was in tune. And I can tell whether the piano's in tune or not in tune. There weren't too many producers. Uh, maybe it was Eddie Offord that, that did it with uh, Yes. He was there producing. He actually went on tour. But uh, Jimmy and I used to swap 
uh, back and forth, you know, sound and lights, sound and lights, until we got Mark Brickman, who was a genius of lights, and ended up with Pink Floyd doing all yeah. their lights for years. So uh, that was a that was a. But in 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 case, uh, uh, that's how how we got started with Bruce, and that's how I learned to respect the fact that he, you know we had to drive to dates. Sometimes I, I was on the road. I, one one weekend. I didn't sleep for you know sixty nine hours or something like that. Sixty nine hours before I went to bed, three wow. days in a row, boom, boom, boom. And the reason was, he was putting his life and his heart on the line, and I felt obligated to do the same. Sure. And that's 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 where it was at. It was like, and again, that's probably why he wanted you to be his manager in the beginning because he knew he'd get whatever he was putting in. You would also put in the same. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think he had a sense of that, and he's as the dedication, and uh, you know he knew like he's you know he says first disciple you know <laughs> you know that's what he always <laughs> he always says you know he, he you know and, and and it's and it's nice to hear, but uh, it, the rate the reason people say hey you're the guy that discovered Bruce Springsteen, I said well I didn't discover him so to speak like I found him in a club somewhere and I said right. hey kid you want to do blah 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 blah, and it wasn't quite like that. Mm-hmm. But I got him on. I got him the the the, the audition at Columbia Records with right. John Hammond Senior. Okay, that was very important. Then he got signed to Columbia Records. Then mm-hmm. I got him signed to the William Morris Endeavor Agency. Okay, and so he could finally get out there and tour. Right, and, and it was all those kind of things that I did that made me really the guy that discovered was sure. the first guy to really do the things to get him from from the small pond. To the big pond. Right. Well, let me ask you this now. Getting guys from the small pond to the big pond, because you just said you got him Columbia Records and and the other stuff. How do you go about, um, how did you make those contacts at that time or the connection at the time? Because apparently, you know, you were the, you were their go-to guy. Like they trusted you to deliver somebody to them that you knew. So how did you build those relationships? Well, I had, well, I had the relationship with like, with certainly like guys like Doug Morris at Lowry Records. Hugo and Luigi, who who started me in the business, those guys, uh, you know, wrote "Can't Help Fall in Love" for Elvis. Uh, they they yeah. produced every Sam Cooke record, every wow. one, every one of them. You just start singing them, Cupid, uh, all the songs that you know. <laughs> he did them all. They did them all. Wow. Um, and 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 I, I knew Clive. I knew Clive. Okay. Uh, I, I I knew, uh, um, and I I didn't really know uh, Herb Alpert, but I knew his partner Jerry Moss. At 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 A uh, and M Records, mm-hmm. and and I knew a few people at Electra Records. So, you know, I had those connections, and that's all there is to it. And I had other even agency connections, other than William Mars. But I said, let's start. I went to Columbia. That's the top record label at the time. William Mars was the top agency, absolutely at the time. Right. Uh, and uh, I got him signed to both. You know? Yeah. And, and 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 those were those were good uh, uh, good connections there. That worked to to inure to Bruce's and my benefit uh, thereafter. Did um, you build those connections during your songwriting career with Wes Farrell? You you co-wrote a lot of songs with Wes, right? For uh, yes, I, yeah, I did. What was so funny is, you know, that's another one of the the oddities in my life. I'm on stage playing songs like you know, "Hang On, Sloopy," right? Mm-hmm. Wes wrote that. Yeah, he wrote that song. Yeah, you know, with Burt Burns. But you know, who who's to think? And I ended up getting to know Burt Burns was when he was at when he owned Bang Records and he had Van Morrison and Neil Diamond on the label. Right. Um, and I used to bring over charts 
to you know that they want the, 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 especially the one that song girl you'll be a woman song that was a song oh, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, when I walked in, Neil Diamond was having an argument with Burt Burns. He didn't want the, the strings, you know, like, like, like <laughs> you know, a, a, like, like Paul McCartney didn't like the strings that uh, Phil Spector put on, uh, you know, the long and winding road. Yep. Yeah. It, was, it was a similar situation. I said, I don't know what the heck Neil's, you know, yelling about. I love it. Bang, bang, bang. And they had a great little riff in there, and those strings are perfect in that song. You know right. I mean? Burt yeah. was right about that one. And so was Phil. I think that Paul McCartney was wrong about the long and winding road too. Really? Because we wow. didn't have those ten, 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 ten. I mean, you know, it was the drama. I think of those strings that made that uh, that song what what it was. Great song. I got a, I got a question for you about "Hang On, Sloopy" that you might not know, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. I have a version of that song that I ripped off the internet back in the Napster days, which I you know I, I don't think I get sued for that anymore. But you know, when I was in high school, I downloaded that song, and there's a a third verse on it that they don't play on the radio that I haven't heard on any albums. Wow. What, what, why did they get rid of the, the, uh, do, do you know about it? No, I don't know about it. I mean, the closest I really came to, you know, knowing anything about it is Rick Derringer, who was in, in the McCoys uh-huh. and sung, hung, uh, uh, hang on slowly. West said, Mike, go over and see what they're doing for, for the follow-up record. Uh, uh, to hang on Sloopy. Uh, mm-hmm. Go over there and, and introduce yourself to, to, to the band and tell them I sent you over there to make sure that, you know, they got their nose to the grindstone. You know, I don't know what to expect. I go over to the, the, the rehearsal hall. There's Rick Derringer. And he seems to be the one showing everything, everybody what to do. And he asked me, you know, what I was doing uh, uh, there. And I said, well, after seeing you, I actually don't have much to do here at all. I said, he seemed to have things well in hand. Um, wow. So, you know, I'll just sit around here just because I got nothing else to do now. <laughs> so I did. So I sat around and then they went through, you know, a bunch of things. And when the, when the, when the, when the, uh, the uh, rehearsal ended, uh, Rick said, yeah, you wanted to come over, uh, Mike, to, uh, uh, I'm going over to see my, my, my manager, uh, you know, uh, Steve, I forget his name, Steve something, uh, Steve, uh, oh man, Steve, uh, he also managed to, uh, um, the Winter Brothers, mm. Ed, Edgar and, and Johnny and uh, yeah, Steve. He had the he had this the scene that was the name of his club in okay. Manhattan. He actually owned the scene, and we went over to see uh, see, see uh, his manager, who I did end up seeing. Mm-hmm. But when I walked in the door to the club, first time I ever heard Jimi Hendrix play sing and obviously play Purple Haze. Wow. And I just died when he said, excuse me while I kiss the sky. I just, this, these these speakers were so gigantic. When I walked in that room, I said, who's this guy? He said, man, he says, that's Jimi Hendrix. I said, <laughs> Jimi Hendrix? Wow, man, I can't believe it. You know, I actually did meet Jimmy. Uh, actually, he was trying to get out of the draft, and so was I. We went to the same lawyer. <laughs> went to the same lawyer. Did you meet him? That's where we met. Very, very, wow. you know, low-key guy. Very nice, sweet out of a guy, actually. How did you guys um, wind up getting out of the draft? Well, I ended up going into the Marines, so Mikey didn't get out of the draft. Okay. Okay. Oh, I got out of the, I got out of the Army, uh, and, and, and the Army was going to – uh, have me in two weeks, you know, go to wherever I had to go for basic training. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, oh, man, I got to do something. So I was doing things with lawyers and nothing was working. My old man had no, uh, well, he had no connections with that end of it, uh, but he did know, he did know some people who, 
that were, were, were big time people. But he didn't use them at that time. I think he, he, he thought that it would be good for me, it would, you know, to go to go into uh, the army. Right. And and my sister said, "Hey, they, they need some, they, they they have some openings." My boyfriend goes to uh, you know he went he went out there and he was a marine, and uh, he says there's some openings out in Huntington at the, at the Marine Corps Reserve Unit. So I said okay. reserves. I didn't know the Marines even had reserves. I said okay. So I volunteered to only go in for six months. And then I come back on the streets and have to make a monthly meeting or whatever the hell it is. And I'll, I'll do that if I get lucky. So I went out there. I, I, I spoke to this guy. He said, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't worry about a thing. Don't worry about the army. Don't worry about the army. As soon as I stamp this envelope with UMC, that's it. You will never hear from me ever again. Wow. I said, well, okay. I, I signed on the dotted line. Stamped that folder. Never heard from those guys ever. Not a, not wow. a notice by mistake or accident. Somehow no. they just took care of it. One, two, three, and that was it. And I was on my way to Paris Island. Holy that shit. was an extraordinary uh, experience for me, actually, the Marines, because here I am, like a songwriter, producer, wussy kind of guy. What the <laughs> hell? I'm not looking to to, to kill Vietnamese, uh, the Viet Cong, or the Viet Minh. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm looking to go write songs and rehearse with bands. Right. And, and uh, here I am on my way to Paris Island. And man, when I got to Paris Island, man, that was the real thing, man. That was the real thing. And uh, when I, <laughs> I, I <laughs> uh, my senior drill instructor was a guy by the name of Gunny Spence, okay? Ooh. Now, was that a tough name? Or a yeah, tough that's guy? a real tough name. He was stripped. He, he, he had gotten stripes all up his arms, and he would get in fights, and they would, take, they would bust him, keep busting him. And he would keep getting, you know, medals because he, he was in Bella Wood in World War II. He was, wow. in, in, he was in the Korean conflict. He was in the, the Vietnamese War. So it, it, this is a, this is a one tough guy, all Marine Navy boxer for two years. I mean, a tough guy. Like he used to say to us, he says, yeah. "If you want to hit me, make sure it counts that I never see it coming. Because if wow. I get up, it'd be nothing left of you." <laughs> so that's how he'd say that in front. He'd be in the face of 110 guys, tough guys too, not just wow. little guys like me, man. They were tough guys. I ended up being to scribe. That's my college ID fell on the floor, and he said, "Did you graduate, boy?" <laughs> I said, "Yes, I did." He said, "Next time you answer me, you say yes, sir, or I'm going to beat on you." Oh, You're wow. my scribe. You're my scribe. The minute he said that, I said, "Oh my God!" My father told me to remain anonymous. Uh, <laughs> what the hell? The first day I'm there, I'm, I'm, I'm already the scribe. But it got me out of a lot of a lot of duty because there's one thing that uh, Gunny Spence was frightened to death of. And that was third grade math. Oh. That's it. He was frightened to death of that. Not the Viet Cong, not the Chinese communists. No way. Not Just math. This guy shot it at his own foot in a foxhole to see if he was still alive during the Korean conflict. Holy it was shit. so cold. It was so cold he got delusional and thought that he had passed away. And he figured in his delusional mind, that if he shot himself and felt the pain in the, of the bullet in his foot in the foxhole, that he was still alive. Oh if my he God. couldn't feel it, he would know he was dead. Meanwhile, wow. he got he got hit over the head by his superior officer, who heard him shoot. 
at his foot and he was shaking so much he couldn't even hit his own foot like you know like just right wow unbelievable and uh, that's an absolute true story when that guy told me that story i knew that was true that's the kind of that's the kind of guy and and it's like when you're in the marines you don't realize kind of where this is at uh like for instance uh i'll make these short um yeah i i was one day we said, "Oh, we're going to go to the pool. We're going to we're all going to learn how to swim." Well, I was already a, a, a lifeguard, so I, I didn't have to know how to swim. I was fine. So I, I go over there, and all the advanced swimmers, me, about ten of us out of hundred and ten. Most wow. of these other guys, these southern guys, don't know how to swim. White, blacks, don't matter. They don't know how to swim. So mm-hmm. there's a no, few of us northern guys, maybe ten of us. We go in a, a separate pool. This is a gigantic pool that they're in. And a Navy SEAL comes over and he says, I'm going to show you how to drown proof. And, and they suit us up with a load of like rifles and put them on us and, and, and get us in these heavy, wet, you know, outfits. And so, you know, and they dump us into the water. Wow. And, and they tell us how to drown proof. And we, we say, yeah, okay, we know how to drown proof. Well, I was hardly listening. I wasn't even paying attention. <laughs> I said, "What the hell? I can, I can, I can float in this stupid pool for a, for an hour and ten minutes." What are you right. So I jump in the pool, and in no time at all, I'm drowning. I'm drowning. I they have to put poles in that I can grab a hold of to pull me out. Oh my god! And then god. The, the senior drill instructor comes around and he sees us being pulled out. He knows we failed, and he says, "Remember, I'm going to beat on your boy if you don't listen to this guy." So that focused me real quickly. Right. And I listened to this guy exactly how to do it, how to take the breath and everything like that. I was in that pool for an hour and a half, floating. Wow. After that, an hour and a half. And I, like I always say, if somebody throws me off a boat and it, it's not in frigid water, I can last for two or three days. Holy shit. Two or three days, I can last that long. I had wow. a drown proof. Once you know how to drown proof, you know how to do it. Simple as not simple enough. Especially salt water, it's even more buoyant than pool water. Holy shit! And and, yeah, and then and then the other, one of the 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 other two little store stories are very simple. One was I actually saw a UFO on on the base. And oh, we love Pennington. these stories. Can you imagine? I was I I, I it was after evening chow. It was a, a January night. The sky was black, no moon, all stars. Beautiful, beautiful winter night. January 6th or 7th, something like that, in in, uh, in, Cal- in Camp Pendleton, uh, California, down near San Diego, Oceanside. And uh, a bunch of black dudes are in front of me and my, my, my buddy from New York, and they're looking into the, the western sky. Right. And we come out of the chow hall. And then there's like 15 and 20 and 30 of us. We're all looking at this self a golden self-illuminating object like an egg it's like an egg and it's coming down no sound no helicopter wing no wings at all nothing then it wow. stops in midair it stops in midair i'm i'm watching this thing and it just stops in midair no sound no nothing then it jettisons some kind of aqua smoke against that black sky in an irregular figure and then, like, like a balloon, like when you let it go, and it, with, with the, when the air comes out of a balloon, it goes right. da, 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 and disappears into a point. I said to myself, what in the hell was that? And I had been studying UFOs and things like that. And my, my, my son and I have discussed it since. And I said, did we have enough smarts from Roswell 
to recreate our own UFO by 1967, which is where I was. That's where I was in in, in the Marines at that particular time. Wow. And we we said, I don't know. But, but I knew that those German scientists that we took in uh, Operation Paperclip after uh, World War II was over, those guys were at the Roswell site before the, uh, the, the military got there. All the, right. Only those guys, Werner von Braun and Hermann Oberth, those guys all were there. And, um, and, and, uh, and, and they also uh, say that uh, Hans Kammler, an SS general, discovered a, a, a UFO and they reverse engineered it from the, from they found it in the Black Forest in Germany in 1936. So the Germans were actually operating from a uh, from a much longer period of time to be able to reverse engineer. So they could have. It's a possibility. In any case, yeah. Who knows what the heck you know what that was all about. Wow. But, but anyway, I saw it. That's an absolute. I never saw one ever again. Never saw one before. But very, very interesting. Uh, I'm dying to see one. I haven't seen one. Of them. We, had a, we, have a, we have a couple guests who've talked about. Yeah. Uh, Ed Asner actually told us about one in New Jersey at Fort Monmouth. Yeah. That, well, Ed, that, Ed Asner said he saw one yeah, in Fort Monmouth, New Jersey. Yeah, that's and, – and, 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 you know, it's funny. It's, it's, it's sort of a, a segue, a perfect segue. Uh, I've also, you know, finished a, uh, a musical that, was, that, that is uh, – it's about uh, – it's called Stage Door Johnny. It's about uh, nobody wants to be uh, stage door Johnny in their own life. They got to be at center stage, just like Bruce. We had lunch mm -hmm. one time, and he said, "Mike, where am I on Saturday night?" He just blurted out. And <laughs> I said, uh, "Center stage somewhere in the world." He says, "That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's exactly right." And 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 he says, "That's my commitment." And it, it is his commitment. Yeah. And, uh, and so I figured I'd write this thing about the, the, the millennials and us classic rockers, because obviously us classic rockers hate everything that the millennials have been churning out because mm -hmm. it just isn't there it doesn't groove it doesn't rock there's no riffs there's no interesting lyrics there's no color there's no differentiation between uh, their notion of pink floyd and bruce springsteen and you know right whoever else you want to say i mean there's so many great greats the beatles the stones all the moody blues I mean, there's so many great songs. Yeah. And you think of, you know, Nights in White Satin. Sure. I mean, what a monstrous song that yeah. is compared to anything. But you, and then you just say, well, I guess we're in the entertainment business, even though it doesn't entertain me because, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I just sit there and I just, you know, okay, everybody's in pretty colorful sequined outfits and everybody looks great. But right. everything, everything just is all dressed up with no place to go. Yeah, I know it's it's weird. I think the guy from um, oh my god, uh, this is this is a oh Steve Miller band, uh, who's who's the lead singer's name. I can't, I, I was I was listening to him do an interview, I think on Sirius, and he basically was like, yeah, you know, I can't. In the eighties, he was like, you know, every band you could tell apart because of right. their outfit, what they wore, what they sounded like. Yeah, yep. And he goes, he goes, now you can't tell the difference between the people playing the music and the roadies. That's right. Because they all look the fucking know. same. Everything is the same. It's exactly yeah. correct. So you know what? Have you ever heard of a band called Wolf Alice? Wolf Alice? Yeah. No. You, I, I think you would really, really love them. They are, uh, they're not like, you know, they haven't, uh, they haven't done like the, you know, the award show shit or anything like, you know what I mean? Like they're not, not but they're, they're amazing. Right. And um, the lead singer is, uh, her name is uh, Ellie Rossell, and she, they're, they're British. 
Um, cool. But they've got this great, great fucking sound. It's very rock and roll. Um, but really? it's all kind of like everything's kind of mixed in. Like it's a little bit of indie music, a little bit of pop, but also like a hardcore, like a lot of their out. Like this one song by them called Smile is a really great uh, rock song. Oh. Um, but they're, but I know what you mean though, because a lot of what gets attention and what makes it onto the radio is that very homogenous kind of, you know, uh, one hit wonder shit, you know, that they're not yeah, making sure. full albums, but they, Wolf Alice makes, I, I, I very rarely listen to full albums anymore because they just don't make them well, sure. but they, but their albums, I'm telling you from beginning to end have this, you know, same thing with almost like a Springsteen thing where there's an epic story. If it's beginning to end when you listen right. together, um, same thing with a couple other bands. We, I try to have bands like that on the show too, because I feel like, you know, there isn't a lot of that anymore, but there's another band out of Australia called middle kids and same kind of a thing. Okay. Um, Milo green, same, like they're, they're all really, really great, but I know what you mean because it is kind of it. Whatever gets nominated for shit now is nothing to, you know, it's right, all spectacle. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it's funny. You know, when I think of Bruce Springsteen dying at the end of uh, Jungle Land, yeah, it meant so much to him that he had to die on stage. So right. When, when 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 I first saw that, I was just thrown away. I just uh, you know, you, 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 I didn't know we could go any higher. And Bruce takes it another step higher. He, he shows you a a a, a, a deeper side of him i mean in the songs deep enough without dying at the end but then he goes and right. dies at the end and right. it's just i just said i can't believe it i mean it's like you know james dean on stage you know chuck barry and james dean colliding you know and yeah. and you know, god almighty i mean this is really this is really fun this is really yeah. different and and uh, so i think i do a musical based upon the millennials and 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 some and some uh you know, classic rock people, and they and they and, and they of course clash heads and, and right and 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 there's two women in the in, in the uh, in the musical and they and they and they're females and they do great songs, nice. And they do you know really hot stuff. And I, I mean, put I put uh, almost 15 years into this thing. It's no, it's not something wow. that you do you knock out in a, in a week. And sure. still, uh, you know, we're working on the book and getting the, the thing right. And I think we're going to have to to try to make it into a motion picture first. So if any producers and directors are out there, go to my website at uh, micapal.com. Okay. Nice. I, I, I like to talk to you because I'm, I want to do this and, and it, and you won't be disappointed. That's for sure. Because I almost got this on Broadway. I have a wow. lead investors uh, who has three sh shows right now on Broadway. Mm -hmm. And uh, he loved the, the, the damn thing. And, and what happened was the pandemic. Sure. And the pandemic well. is still there. I mean, he's still struggling, you know, with, with what. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just he, he's not there. They're, they're, they're taking nights off and then they can come back and then they work a few nights and then they take another night off because of COVID concerns with somebody who got sick in the, in the, in the cast or whatever. So that that's still very much in, in their, you know, in their world still. I they wish the artist they community shed that would... snake in yet. No. Yeah. But, but in, 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 in the motion picture world, you know, Netflix is still fine, you know. Oh, they're, I know. Next. Yeah, I know. I'm worried they... about night after night after night after night touring, and they're not worried about any of that. No, I know yeah. exactly. It is. It is yeah. kind of a bummer, and I kind of wish the artist community would stick together a little bit more and put pressure on the government, you know, either local or otherwise, to to really kind of do something because we're, you know, it, we're we're dying not being able oh, to yeah. tour. Oh yeah. Oh no. There's no question about that. 
Um, yeah. what I you had, what, what no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh. And uh, I, I also got involved in metaphysics. Uh, well, 1980, so it was years and years and years and years ago. Right. And and I got involved in it because two people separately thought I was like having, you know, that I was in a depressed state, uh, which I probably was. But wow. um, you know, I wasn't doing rock and roll anymore. I didn't. It didn't appeal to me anymore. I didn't want to do anything anymore with rock. I had to. After Bruce, it was like there was a, just a lull, you know, a lull, and I just wasn't going to just jump in and do something. And, did it exhaust? Did the did the whole falling out thing, and then the producing all those albums and being on the road and staying up? Did it just kind of exhaust you in general, or was it? Well, you know, I had to come to terms with being without Bruce eventually. Mm -hmm. Okay, and and I I kind of knew that. It was always like rattling around in my head. Of course, you know, this is Bruce's baby, not yours. Right. You're there as a helping hand. And that's what your, you know, your job is, Mike. So don't cross that line and kid yourself. Okay, this is all about him. And, and it is all about him. And that's where you got to like, if you can't do that, or if your opinion clashes with his for some reason, you can't have shouting matches. Uh, you you you'll never have a, any kind of a relationship with the guy. You'll right. Never have any any length of relationship, and so maybe this isn't for you. Maybe you got to do it. Maybe can you do it yourself, Mike? I mean, you used to write songs. Not that the writing for the Partridge Family is exactly what I consider songs, but the fact <laughs> is, you used to do that. Uh, I mean, at least that's a start, Mike. You can start there. Right. Uh, you've been around Bruce, or you know how good he is and how good a lyricist he is. So you, you have a criteria and a bar. Mm -hmm. So uh, why don't you why don't you get started? And and so I did sort of slip away, and I just started to to write, and then I didn't realize that I actually had in me and that, that I was more artistic than I ever gave myself uh, credit for, and, nice. and it's because I never worked at it long enough. I got cut off. In, in, sure. in fact, in, in fact, uh, uh, speaking of Doug Morris, he was about to start a, a, a record uh, label called Big Tree, and he was going to have me as like a Neil Diamond kind of guy, you know, because he loved all my songs. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, uh, so he and I had like this verbal agreement that I would be on the label, which I actually eventually did for one record. Meanwhile, okay. meanwhile, while I did that, I had discovered Bruce. And I went into, to, and, and I ran into uh, Doug Morris at the uh, World of Astoria uh, for Bruce's uh, uh, induction to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I go into the men's room and he says, hey, Mike. I said, hey, Doug, how you doing? I said, he's standing there at adjoining urinals. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and he says, I, I can always remember, Mike. I never forgot when you came into my office that day. And you told me you discovered somebody brand new and that you didn't want to be on the label and you didn't want anything to do with your own career. And he says, I always remember asking you, well, who the hell is this guy that took you by so storm? And you just said, his name is Bruce Springsteen. And he says, I'll never forget that, Mike. He says, wow. he went away and here we are talking. And he's, in, he's being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And you and I are standing here. You know, yeah. we're both here. <laughs> We've been we've both been invited separately. You know what I mean? Right. So that's um, awesome. Yeah. So it, it was it was just one of those things. You know, I haven't seen Doug in a long time, uh, but 
he's still doing it. He's still, yeah, he's you got to reconnect, man. That's this is the time to reconnect with people that you haven't seen in a long time too. Because I mean, this I feel like You're this right. thing slowed everybody down a little bit, and now you know, time to just go forward. You just can't absolutely. allow it to take over and 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 quarantine your life. Right. You can't quarantine yeah. your life away. So yeah. anyway, I got involved in metaphysics, and I have a new book, One Man's Truth. Oh, and wow. It's, and, and it's sort of a, a, a culmination of a load of esoteric sources, um, you know, you know of, 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 of great knowledge. I didn't know there was such a knowledge out here like this available right. to me and to anybody else. It's not like Michael I know secrets, but there, there, there are certainly loads of things that are available to the general public. Right. That, I'm not going to lie to you. You said esoteric sauces and the Italian in me got really hungry. I was ah, like, what kind ah, of sauce ah, is that? Ah, <laughs> hang on a second. I'm not familiar <laughs> with. Yeah, that's right. It's when she has a woolia. As she, she, said, she has a Louis, a Woolia for food. You forget about it. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta pull over and go to some place to eat. Right. Italians are a breed of, uh, 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 you know, a part. Yeah. Not, when it comes to food, they really are. Yep. You know, but, I hear but, you, man. But that's awesome. So you have a book on metaphysics. That's and you got into it in the eighties. You said. Well, I got into it in the in in, in the eighties. Yes, I did. Uh, I, I mean, just you know, great, great, great little things like this. Although the slaughterhouse is well concealed, there is complicity. Mm. And it means basically if you're sitting in the restaurant and eating food, slaughtered yeah. food, hey, you're just like the guy who slaughtered it out in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's just things like that, uh, you know, that, that, there's, that are so important and that people don't, you know, it's not what I say that it's, that's important. It's only what you hear. Right. And it's it's so true. When you're sitting there and, and, and some teacher's teaching, one person gets something out of the conversation, another guy gets a little something else out of it. It's what matters to you. Right. It's important when that guy who's ever teaching you. And that's another thing. Like Ralph Waldo Emerson even says, I can't teach a man anything. I can only provoke him. And that's true. Yep. And it, it, just, Love Emerson. Just, yeah, you, you, me, me too. Oh, so many of his things are... So, so beautiful. The sacrifice yeah. of a public interest to a private one bears the eternal stamp of vice. In other words, you know, big business and corporations, when, when the government, you know, panders to them rather than, you know, the public, you know, yeah. it's like, hey, I thought you guys, I thought we elected you guys, not this corporation. You oh, know, dude. so, you know, tell me about you, it. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to go there, but we'll be here for the rest of our lives. So, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> I feel you, man. down into that rabbit hole. <clears throat> that pit, yeah. Because that's a dark pit. You know, that's a good segue, though, too, though. When, when Springsteen started to get heavy into the political stuff, did you kind of wish you were still around and involved? Because you are a bit of a political guy a little bit now, right? Well, uh, I, I... I mean, I, we all have to be to a certain extent, but when yeah, he started true. to, you know, when he started to develop those albums and kind of his songs kind of took a, you know, a, a more point of view did you feel like you were did you feel like oh i've got some shit i could have said too or no 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 i didn't i didn't have that that sense of it because i didn't recognize myself as a writer really it's a, okay to compete with a guy like well, you know what that's so weird to me because one of the one of the partridge family songs and i'm blanking on the name was number six in 1970 it made it to top of the charts so oh, that and that was one of, one of the partridge family songs oh, yeah. that you wrote made it to number six it was the top of the charts in 71 
I, I, yeah, I had one that went to number one, actually. Doesn't somebody oh. want to be wanted? Yeah. Number oh, one. Okay. oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. That, was, that was another one. So you don't, but, but that's what I'm, what are you saying? You don't call yourself a much of a writer. That's a well, good we, song. You know, it's like when Bruce came in, we, we, we looked at those songs and we just, like, oh, well, yeah. Are we kidding ourselves? I, I right. can't write another one of those songs. Gag. I cannot do that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, yeah, we, we didn't. We didn't do it right. anymore. In fact, in fact, David, it was I was scared for David Cassidy because he he vanished too. Right, right. Us guys weren't writing him anymore, and 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 then Tony Romeo, Tony Romo, who, uh, Romeo rather, who had a bunch of hits with them. I think I love you and all those. Yeah, uh, he died. He died very very young. So there was another guy that was working right up at the West Nile offices. It was right. it was a terrific time though, you know. Richard Harris, I come up, he'd be lying on the floor. I mean, no way. Know, yeah, like right there. He's, hey, <laughs> he says, mates, he says, I'll, 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 I'll leave if you want. I said, no, 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 stay there, stay there. I'm going to tell this guy to get out of my room. Like, That's incredible. Know, yeah, it was. It was really wonderful. It was really wonderful. I he mean, and Peter O'Toole, I always, I still to this day go on YouTube and look at, uh, look at them on talk shows, like either. Just, just shitting on each other, or on, when they're on at the same time, telling these drunken, fucking, absolutely uh, debaucherous Anthony, tales. Anthony Hopkins, Anthony Hopkins and, and and Richard Harris were drinking oh. buddies. And if you hear Anthony Hopkins talk about his, we would drink gasoline, anything <laughs> that was liquid, we would drink. It was. And, and, and I, I I've seen them, you know, in in London. I mean, there was a guy in London who was a guy who got blinded by the light for Bruce. He was, he was my English publisher, and he's the one who got blinded by the light covered wow. by Bruce Springsteen and by Manfred Mann. Yeah, great uh, song. And uh, when my wife and I would uh, take uh, Adrian Rudge, is his name, he's now deceased, out to dinner when he come to the States, um, he could have seven or eight, you know, martinis. I, I don't know if you've ever had a couple of martinis. But you know, yeah, uh, I've seen people have a couple of martinis and, and start to take their clothes off. I mean, just, <laughs> in, in a restaurant, and they start to take their clothes off. It's like, whoa! So I, you know, it, it, you, you can't do you can't do that. Uh, you just can't do that. But you know, people say, you know, what was your background for, to, to, to get into the business, Mike? Well, I, I started playing in, in bands, but my mother uh, taught me about Hank Williams Senior. Uh, back in the in the in the, in the late forties, uh, when I was just you know I don't know six seven years old to 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 to, to listen to those cheating hearts and jambalaya and crawfish pie. yeah you know, your crew cruel hard and you know uh, hey good looking what you got cooking how's about cooking something up with me all mm -hmm. those great songs of Hank Williams and the smart ass lyricist uh, there's a smart ass lyricist yeah and uh, and and so I got involved in that but my mother was a singer she could have been Dinah Shaw. Her, her trainer and she started she started and she had she did she rehearsed in the brill building the same building i started in and what's the chance of us living in old brookville long island in horse country right yeah and me going into it and be my first job in the business is with you and luigi in the right. building right downstairs from lever and stoller and all of all of you you name it they were all in the building in those years all of them were there and uh, she's in the building with Tipper, uh, Tipper, uh, Ticker, Ticker Freeman, mm -hmm. who was the, the, the mentor for, for Dinah Shaw. Just look him up. Ticker Freeman, wow. look him up. We'll do. Him. He, he was the guy that uh, 
He used to introduce her on the show. He used to play on the show. He used, oh. to, he used to arrange the band. Right. And, and all that kind of stuff. So and he and he was See, my, you were born in Flushing, Queens, right? I was born in Flushing, Queens, but I didn't stay there too long. You didn't stay there that long. My mom no. was born in Queens. I was born in Brooklyn, and my grandfather had a um uh, a beauty salon in Manhattan for a long yeah. time. And he and he used to do Ella Fitzgerald's wigs, like her hair wow. before shows and shit like that. So it was always one of those things that like I loved it. Like, were you ever super starstruck? You know, when you, when, you know, for, for everybody that you work with, was there anybody that ever kind of got you starstruck? Well, my mother got me starstruck. I'll tell you that. And, 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 and my father first said to me, you know, your mother, I could, I, I, when I was stationed in uh, New, uh, Manchester, New Hampshire, I could mm -hmm. listen to your mother sing with the Walter Wanger Orchestra every single day. Wow. And, and she was on radio. And, and Walter Wanger, after the war, He's the guy who produced uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Cleopatra. But he oh had a, in, in, during the war years, he had a, an orchestra. My mother was a lead singer of that orchestra. Wow. And so, so she was a singer. And she sung with the Larry Clinton Orchestra. I saw her sing at the, uh, the Hunting Crescent Club. Uh, my father was the president there at the time. And she sung Dip, the Dipsy Doodle, which was a big hit for him. And um, what the hell is the other? Uh, uh, B. Arthur sung. Not B. Arthur. Um, Oh, um, what's that song? Uh, Not being able to remember, by the way. My Reverie. My Reverie. It, oh, okay. I was going to say, this is a dystopia tonight <laughs> curse, by the way. Literally every guest we've had on, we're, we're going to make a montage of this because every guest, it's either it's either something that they've known literally right up to the point of the show and they're like, the fuck is my name? <laughs> and I'm like, I had it two seconds ago. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it is. You're right. But she, and she used to also sing with the Teddy Wilson trio. The Teddy Wilson trio used to sing with Billy Holiday. Used to play with behind Billy Billy Holiday, Louis Armstrong. Wow. You know, I mean Benny Goodman. And my mother used to sing Satin Doll right up there at the Booth Spruce Inn and Rosalind Harbor. My so you grew up around all those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's yeah. Crazy. So that, that's that. That was what really like. Kill it. And, then, and she gave it all up. She wanted to have a bigger family, which she did. She So with, with, with like working with like sick. Smokey Robinson and seeing those other guys, though, was it just like a normal day for you or were you ever like beside yourself? It was a normal day for me that I, but I was beside myself. Oh, the it same like, things. Yeah, it's, 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 it's Sam McKeith was the, that was Bruce's uh, agent at William Morris agency. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, he says, Hey, you want to come hang out with me tonight? I'm going to the Apollo Theater. I got to see uh, Smokey Robinson was another one of his clients. So was Stevie, uh, Stevie, uh, not Wonder. Winwood. Wonder, yeah, Stevie Wonder. I always said Stevie Win Winwood. Yes. Oh, that, Steve Winwood's great too, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no question. Great. You're very soulful too. Yeah. But, 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 but I said, yeah, you got it. So I, I couldn't believe that, that, that uh, Smokey starts off with three or four ballads. So boring. He's got all these hot up tempo, too many fish in the sea songs, you know. Mm -hmm. And he goes and he sings, "Baby, baby," and so long, it's so long and boring. But, but of course, when he went into his his, his great songs, so, he had so many of them. I mean, God, sure, he wrote three hits, big hits for the Marvelettes. He wrote hits for everybody. I mean, just so many people he wrote hits for. My God, mm -hmm. and 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 for himself too. I mean, just I mean, I I know that I can sing the horn lines in his songs. I mean that that's how identifiable uh uh the 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 arrangements are and the horns right. and the strings. I mean just great stuff. I mean Motown is it, you know, you gotta kneel at the altar of a very good oh, yeah. 
Really, you really do. I mean, he set yeah. up a brilliant operation. The competition was fierce, and they were so damn talented. But Smokey Robinson was, you know, cut above everybody. And when I saw him, he, was, uh, he had green eyes, uh, and he was very soft, and he was, uh, you know, just changing yeah. his clothes in the in in the uh, after the show, uh, in his in his room. But he was very very deferential, very nice, and 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 very very sweet. Bob Marley was was. Uh, he was kind of almost like a little black Bruce Springsteen. We, I first met him in, in uh, Max's Kansas City. Bruce was the headliner. He was the opening act. Wow. And all night long, he's like, you know, this reggae beat. And all of the yeah. songs have that like yeah. little thing. So that's, get, that's going through my head. <laughs> and and, and I, I go upstairs and I'm standing in front of him while he's just about to, to, to start his set. And mm-hmm. I said, I said, <laughs> right in front of him, I did that, and he thought that was the funniest thing. I, think, I didn't think it was that funny, but but actually, it was to him. And and uh, he he was, but he was a brilliant little guy, man. And he he also danced. He was like free. Like when Bruce, when you see Bruce like sort of lose it, like in in a concert, he just goes off somehow, yeah. on his own tangent. And he's like, all he says, he's a prisoner of rock and roll. Well, he's not lying. He has. That's actually true. He is a prisoner of that thing, okay. Right. And he goes off on it sometimes and just rips. He's by himself. It's, a, it's somebody has to like tap him and say, "Hey, Bruce, come back." And and, right. and that's where that's that's what I love, and that's what I, I see it utterly absent in today's musicians. And, and they've got seventeen lawyers and fourteen representatives, yep. and sixteen agents, and nobody can write a song. Can't play a guitar. Right. Nobody can play an <laughs> instrument. Nobody can do anything. I know. And yet they're all fantastic and their parents tell them they're fantastic and everything's marvelous. Yep. And, so and when they win an <laughs> yeah. And when they win an award, you see like the list of songwriters it took to write one song with four lyrics. Yeah. And I know. it's like 88 <laughs> people involved. How the fuck is that possible? I know. Committee. Committee. Yeah. It's, it, it's 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 insane. It's very manufactured. It really is. It, it Even really comedy is. to a certain extent gets very manufactured. Get, you don't get one man or woman. You don't get Joni Mitchell's point of view. Right. You don't get, you know, Bob Dylan's point of view. Right. Because they're all scared they have, of having one. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I guess that's true, too. I guess that is true. Yeah. Uh, back in those days, you know, people spoke their mind. And, yeah. You know, I'm telling you, check out Wolf Alice, though. I think you'd really like them. I've got it. I got Wolf Alice written down. I awesome. wrote it down. I'll uh, send you some I, stuff, too, because they're, they're terrific. Really terrific. Um, it'll, be, it'll, be well, it'll be absolutely welcome. But my, the- my, my mother was, a, was, was an inspiration uh, because she could really sing. And not nice. like me. My mother could sing <laughs> Audi melodies, okay? My yeah. Capel tries to sing Audi melodies, and he sort of fakes his way through it <laughs> poorly. And, and songs like Foggy Day in London Town, Frank Sinatra can sing that song, and so right. can my mother. I cannot sing that song if I listen to it a hundred times. I cannot memorize it wow. because it's like a what's it all about? Help me! Is it that? What's it all about? That's that's hard songs to sing, man. Right. Those are super melodies by Burt Bacharach and great, yeah. you know, lyric writing by Al Davis. Um, those two guys. What 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 a respect I have for those two guys. Those guys yeah. are real songwriters. I mean, Absolutely. of course, Lennon and Bruce. Oh, that's one of one of my. Somebody said to me, Mike, do you have any regrets? I said, I have two. I, uh, John Lennon wanted to speak. Jimmy Iovine calls me one night at my office, and he says to me, Mike, he says I'm producing John Lennon's you know, rock and roll album. I said, Oh wow, congratulations! I didn't know you got that. 
Yeah, I got it. My I said, well, look, congratulations. He said, yeah, but he wants to meet the guy that got Bruce on the covers of Time and Newsweek. I said, well, that would be me, but it, uh, not that there weren't other people that tried, but I'm the guy that talked to the senior editors and got the job done at the very end of, you know, that process. Mm-hmm. And uh, all I can say is that was one hell of a process, too, to get Bruce to agree. You'd think that like every artist today would be kissing my butt if I told him we, we were going to try to get you on the covers of Time and Newsweek if they were yeah. in, in operation. And in the same um, in the same week, and on my birthday, no less, both of those magazines and those covers are dated on October 27th, which is my birthday. Wow. So that was the gift to me, having it right on my birthday. That was, it was, well, I didn't know till I opened up those craft paper stacks. Right. At, at, at a local, um, uh, you know, newsstand in LA. We were staying at the Sunset Marquee. And I ran out at five, six in the morning, got there when the trucks were unloading the, the newspapers and the magazines. And uh, I had to get a craft, one of those little knights to cut the, cut, cut the, the cord and, 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 that, and that craft paper. And when I saw his face on both those covers, I nearly died. Wow. I said, God damn it, we did it. Jesus yeah. Christmas, I can't believe it. You know, Atlanta, Atlanta called me up and said, Mike, what's the story? What's the story? You spoke to the senior editors last. What was it? I said, John, I don't know. Okay. Right. I just don't. Well, do you have an inkling? <laughs> do I have an inkling? <laughs> I said, yeah, I have an inkling. We could get one cover, two covers, and no covers. That's the inkling I have. It's one yeah. of those three. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, I, I knew he, I knew he was dying just as much as me. Hey, man, uh, you know, we're both in this together. Yeah, I'm dying yeah. just as much as you are. Um, and and then to to get them both, I ran back with this with a stack of those uh, magazines, and banged on Bruce's door, and every, I gave them out to all the band members and everything like that, and uh, and then I get a call from Phil Spector, right? Wow! I'm in my room, and he says, "Who's this?" I said, "Well, you call me. You ought to know who you called." So he <laughs> says, "He says it's Phil Spector, and Mike born to run sounds like Phil Phil Spector." I said, I said, well, Phil, that's because we were copying the greatest producer who ever lived. Ooh. And that, you you would think that that was such butter and bullshit. Right. That, that would have got him. He would have said, Mike, who are you kidding? You know, screw you, okay? <laughs> you know, who you, who do you think you're butter? But, no, no, just the, the absolute, uh, the, the contrary of that, okay? Wow. <laughs> he said, he said, well, Mike. He said, I'm glad to hear that. He said, is there a chance that Bruce can come out to the house with the band? You know, out to my house in the studio? And I said, yeah, all I need is your telephone number and your address, and maybe we can arrange that, and I'll call you back, which I did, and I arranged. And Bruce came oh, back nice. at the end of the day, and I said, hey, Bruce, how'd it go? He just says, I never want to see that man again. <laughs> That's a quote, okay? Really? That's what he said. And no elaboration, no nothing. I guess, you know, when 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 Phil's in, in a room you know, especially a control room, which is small to begin with. There can't be much oxygen in it. I'm sure that oh, it yeah. sucks it all up. I mean, there's no oxygen for anybody else to speak or even tell you their name. Sure. I mean, that guy sucks it all up. But that's the truth. I mean, I couldn't believe it. But I'll never forget, man, that guy is a killer little guy in a million ways. You know, if he's in a session, right? And somebody plays a riff, the dee, 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 like the beginning of uh, He's a Rebel. Yeah. I forget the piano player who came up with that riff. 
But Phil said, hey, that riff, I want that to start the song off. Boom, boom. He caught that in a second. I cut in a second. And and he's the one who played in, on, on, on Broadway. He's playing the guitar solo on Broadway. Oh, People yeah. You know that this guy, you know, how many things this guy could do. He was, he truly was a tycoon of teens. And right. I think that original article in the Tribune, in the New York Tribune newspaper back in the day when he got that, when he, when the, his, he, he got his first, you know, yeah, you know, it's and nice he, to know it's just as hard to get press back then, though, as it is now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Nobody wants to fucking hear from anybody that doesn't have a million TikTok followers now. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely true. It, it's it's uh, it's a whole it, it, it's like the guys like David Geffen and Clive Davis and like oh, yeah. Moss and, and all, all these guys, th those guys, are, you know, Doug Mars. Those guys always were open to guys like me who were writers and producers and doing it and scuffling it, you know, because yeah. they know they came, they sort of came from that too. It wasn't that long sure. ago when they were doing the same damn thing. And they knew you would produce something good. Well, they did. They did. They had faith in it. And they would take, I mean, Geffen, you know, had a, uh, took the meeting with me and my attorney, Jules Cars at the time. And, and we played in Bruce Springsteen, but he just signed uh, uh, Jackson Brown. So, you know, it's like, just like, you know, like, you know, he's yeah. like, well, I don't know, Mike, you know, <laughs> well, yeah, he just signed Jackson Brown. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll take you too. No, he already has his Bruce Springsteen. Right. And, and, and Jackson Brown is a genius. I mean, who has a song like Dr. My Eyes? Oh, yeah, of course. And, and, and thinks that that's a pop song. And right. it was a pop song. <laughs> and it was a pop thing. Okay. Yeah. It reached the top 10. I know. I mean, but just to have, Doctor, my eyes. Is that your title? Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> Not I love you, baby. No. Right. Um. Well, this we kept you for over an hour, but I got two more questions for you that we ask every yeah. guest. You got time? Yeah. Sure. Great. First question is: uh, If you go back in time and give your younger self a piece of advice that would help you today, what would it be? It would probably be go slower, uh, be more methodical. Okay. Um. You know. Um. Don't shoot from the hip so quick. Don't be so you know fast. I mean, some guys can be fast, and and, and it serves them well. And it did serve me well in many many respects. Mm -hmm. So it's like, but it's like double edged cool, uh, sword. You, you can make it. Perhaps I could have made less enemies coming up. But you know, when you had to get Bruce Springsteen across, you had to be in people's face. I used to bust the guys at Columbia Records' face. By putting, you know, little flyers in their in their little, uh, you know, those letter boxes, and when they right. stayed at certain hotels, when we were in town at the same time, they were in town. They were having a thing. They hated my guts. They would love yeah. to, just, you know, took my tongue out. You know, I but, hear you. But 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 there was a. I got one time I, when I when I when I when I when I finished the song "Born to Run." And, and and Bruce and I went up to Columbia Records and played it for uh, Steve Popovich, was who is a good guy, mm -hmm. a guy with ears. Even though that day he had two phones and one on each ear, he's the you know quintessential promotion guy. Right. And talking, he's talking to all those promo men, and uh, I said to him, "Hey, can you have time to to listen to this?" He said, "Yeah, sure." So he listens to it, and Bruce is not there. He stayed in the, in the lobby. He was like too too afraid to to, to hear if anybody didn't like Born to Run. Okay. Sure. So you know, didn't trust the situation. So I went upstairs and, and, and I said, what did you think of it? He said, well, I like the guitar riff. I said, okay, that's terrific. We start from scratch. Goodbye. <laughs> and, and I went down and I told that to Bruce. Bruce was kind of devastated. 
And, and, uh, and then I said, uh, he said, well, what do we do now? I said, well, I don't know that right now. But you go back to Asbury Park. I'm going back to the office. And if, I, if anything comes up, I'm going to call you and let you know what I'm doing. Wow. And I thought about, I, thought, I said, well, you know what? Why don't I take this racket that I love? And why don't I take it to every disc jockey who's in our, who's in our back pocket? Because they love us. They come to the shows. And, and, and they had the latitude in those days to take a song like that, play it on their, on, on their radio station, and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I said that that out to 26 markets, okay? Wow. Tertiary, secondary, and, and, and primary, okay? Mm-hmm. And it, it became, it went to number one on all the, uh, the stations it was on. And, and all the kids were calling into the station, and all the kids were going into stores where there wasn't an album. So now right. we have a problem. <laughs> Houston, we have a problem. And the problem is that Mike Appel, unbeknownst to all of the brass at CBS, took it upon himself to take a record, which he knows is a no-no. You don't put a record out like this unless the album's in the store. Isn't that correct, Mikey? Don't you know that? Yes, I do. But I did it anyway <laughs> because you're not listening to me. So, and that's what happened. The, the, the top brass the, the called me up and we had a very, very, very bad conversation. Not that uh-huh. I, we were screaming and yelling. He was screaming and yelling. I was trying to be very calm because I knew that Bruce's career was at stake and we were sure. thrown in the street here. So they had the power to do that in a minute. So I said to myself, oh, God almighty. When I hung up that phone, I said, I guess I'm going to get, you know, a, a, a letter of release for my contract. And uh, that'll be just wonderful. We could just start it from scratch. So um, I got lucky because... Erwin uh, um, Siegelstein, uh, another event, and Bruce. Bruce made this one work. Actually, I don't want wow. to take too much of your time. But, but no, no, uh, it's fine. But, but it turns out Erwin uh, Siegelstein was a guy who came from the television uh, uh, side of CBS, and now he was going to run the record label. And mm-hmm. he wasn't going to let Bruce go into the studio or me go into the studio. He was doing what the last A and R people were doing, and I realized that. But I didn't realize that his son went to Brown University and I got an interview with Brown University Press paper that Bruce was going to do that very afternoon. And Bruce went, did his, did his interview. Never bad, bad mouths anybody. But he was saying that this guy, Erwin Siegelstein, doesn't know and he's keeping me from going into the studio and my right. having trouble with him. And so it was devastating to the kid because all his friends, including him, were all Springsteen fanatics. The old man didn't know, so right. he just he just singing the same song as the previous administration, and it didn't work. His son got on his ass, and Erwin Siegelstein called me, and he was devastated. Wow. He was he was butter. I said, okay, well then let's let's get together and get this thing sorted out. He said, tomorrow I'll meet you and your attorney and Bruce That's and Mercurios, and sure enough, he did, and he buried the axe. We went to do our third album, and that's how that third album came about. Through that kind of pressure, right? Me sending the record and Bruce getting lucky, and and the guys that's what I mean. How, how about destiny? You think yeah. there's no destiny in hand here? It is just all happenstance, just all fell together like by accident, yeah, or luck or something like that. I'm telling didn't you, you, that ain't the case. Ain't didn't you also send out uh bags of coal for Christmas? To- oh, that was earlier in his career, yeah. And when, when they put out the first album, I had sent a letter out, I said, you know, you guys are not playing Bruce Springsteen. And I've decided that you're going to get coal in your, uh, your, your stocking if you if that continues. Well, it did continue. <laughs> and I said, okay, I want you to go out to to, to uh, the nearest uh, hardware store and get me a couple of bags of coal. 
and go into some of these, uh, you know, stocking stuff for stores and whatever, and get me a bunch of, enough for like 40 or 50 of them. And I sent out 40 or 50 to those to those stations. And I got hate mail back from those guys. But they hated me. Right? But I did it. But, I, but that's what I mean about me. Uh, you know, you have to sometimes, uh, for the artist, you have to do what you got to do. And yeah. You can't yeah. say, well, I don't want to upset anybody's feelings. Really. What? No. You so you, about it. you have to interrupt everybody's lives and tell them who cares about you. Here's what I listen to this guy, okay, and shut up. And that's yeah. what you have to be. And if you can't do that, you can't do that. So but you were the inspiration for Santa Claus is coming to town. It was you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, he, that was all him. He wanted to do it, and uh, we wanted, he wanted to redraw it. We recorded that's it. great. College, you know? But uh, I the last two, I had two regrets, though, uh, in my life, basically. Uh, and one was that I, uh, that I didn't meet with John Lennon. I, oh. I, I interrupted myself there. But when I to get back to, to that little quick story, um, uh, Jimmy Iveen uh, said to me, why won't you come over here? I said, because John Lennon has 150 hits. I played those 150 hits when I was in bands. And I have, I don't know, three or four, you know, or five <laughs> or six, whatever the hell they are. Okay, I I just am too am too embarrassed to stand in the same room with that guy. Wow. I really am. And he sent me a gift. He sent me, you know, Beatles tape live at the Hollywood Bowl as a gift. It was very nice. Wow. And if you haven't heard the, the girls scream, Beatle girls scream, it, it gives you chills even though if you're not in a, in, a, in, a, in the stadium. But in any case, uh, uh, yeah, that was a particular point in time. Was, we we had Peter Asher on the show and he was talking about playing with the Beatles and, and doing that kind oh, of shit. Yeah. And, and those, you know, fan girls at the time. She he had said he had told us one story where uh a girl had they were chasing them like out of out into their limos or whatever and he had right. dropped a pair of glasses on the grass and he had <laughs> ran back to grab his glasses. It was basically like his buddy Holly glasses. And the girl he turned around and the girl that was chasing them uh was kneeling down in the dirt where his glasses fell and she ate the dirt. Wow. Yeah. Holy shit. That, How crazy that, is that? That shows you just what, hey, man, there's no band that can can say that. It just, right. It just, nobody <laughs> has that kind of devotion. Yeah. Uh, that, that kind of craziness. And the other thing was the, uh, that, that, that I had to grab was I never had a chance to tour Bruce Springsteen in the circus tent that I had always wanted to do in 1976. Oh. Uh, that, because the litigation and all that nonsense. Oh. Lawyers. Uh, all of a sudden, lawyers. I said, where were these guys? Where were you guys for the last four yeah. years? Where were you guys? I don't remember seeing you guys here. I right. must have missed you. So uh, that was that was always the thing that was. was I, I I thought it was going to be great. I thought I, I I had spoken to Mark Brickman about it. We had we had so much to go on, uh, you know, to, to, to do in it. It would have been with Bruce's early songs. It would have been just magnificent. Circus, you know, Circus Boy, Wild Billy Circus song, all that kind of stuff. Would have been yeah. great, but you know. Hey, didn't happen. Uh, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do this. One more question. We got uh, what, what? What had an end in your life, good or bad, for you to wind up where you are today? Uh, well, that had an end. That 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 had an end. And uh, and what had a start was me finding out that I was as, as good, just about as good as any of them. Yeah, and especially the lyrics. And uh, I can't write melodies like Paul McCartney, that's for sure. But, but, uh, <laughs> but who can? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, Bert Becker can. That's a hard, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. There's no question about it. That's a hard act to follow. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, 
uh, I had to find myself uh, after that. And I did find myself, but it took a long time because, uh, you know, I, I took on a very big project. This musical took a lot out of me. But mm. these next uh, year or two is going to you're going to see a lot of my things come to fruition because it's my time, my turn now. I agree. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's that's awesome, and I feel like a lot of us felt like that coming out of this, uh, you know, this time that we had to reflect over the pandemic right. and stuff like that too. So it's yeah. nice. Um, listen, so it was right. a blast having you on the show. I loved getting to meet you and talk to you. Likewise, um, you got to come back again, man, because I feel like you just have ton more stories and stuff. <laughs> I do have a lot of stories. Yeah. yeah I'm a professional windbag. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Dude, well, I got to, you know, actually one more question before you go real quick. Out of those three albums um, on Springsteen, what are your favorite songs off of each album? Well, Thunder Road is really my favorite song mm -hmm. off of the Born to Run album. I mean, I have, okay. some, I mean, I have, it's a very, very difficult to pick uh, uh, off of them. A Mary Queen of Arkansas is kind of an oddball song off the first one, okay. and I, and I like E Street Shuffle off the off the uh, the second one. Yeah, uh, but but uh, there's uh, there's no songs on any of those albums I don't like, not one. Right. I may like them for different reasons, mm -hmm. um, uh, but other than that, I like every one of those damn things, and it's very very difficult to pick which I like more. I loved it, you know, the graduation gown, lies and rags at, at your feet. I mean, some of those lyrics in that song, you know, the dusty beach road, the burnt out Chevrolets, you know, it's just stuff like it's so gosh damn Americana. It's so yeah. us. It's so us. It's so Jersey. It's so beach it Jersey. And, and and you guys, especially you guys from Jersey, you can't get away from it. You know, I mean. No, I'm, we I'm, cannot. I'm a, yeah, <laughs> no, you cannot. No, you, you, you're there. They don't, it's a law. They don't let you. No, if you no, live here, it is. It is. It, it, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, 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 and what can I say? He, he he hit the nail on the head there. It was just such a such a such an extraordinary song. I swear to God, this happened to me more than once going into Asbury Park. Because when I when I started out doing stand up, I used to do gigs in Asbury. You know, it was, it's just a great place to either do music or if you're a comedian to go work out material or do whatever. It's just a great you right. know artist driven. You know, town. But I swear to God, every time I drove into Asbury, my iPod that had like four fucking thousand songs on it would automatically play a Bruce Springsteen song. And I was like, is there a radio signal going out? <laughs> like, and they say, like, is this legally required to do it? Not that I would complain, but I'd be like, this is too weird. But it happened to <laughs> that me is definitely weird. more than once. That is. That's weird. Yeah, that's it's so, awesome. That's um, not just happenstance either. Yeah, exactly, man. But it was a blast talking to you, dude. So I, I hope uh, we get to do it again soon. Yes, we will. And Cheers. what was your website again, real quick? Plug that. Uh, MikeAppel.com. MikeAppel.com. We'll make sure everybody gets there, dude. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Absolutely. And we'll be looking forward to that movie, too. Thanks so much for joining us today. And so Cheers. many okay. great stories. Can't wait till the, the next one. Oh, Cheers. Take care, man. Dystopia tonight.